Good morning, everyone. My friends, we celebrate the great solemnity of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, also known as Corpus Christi. My friends, as a rule, I try to stick completely to the scriptures when I speak to you and give a homily. Uh, today, though, I wanted to share because of the community and the communion that we have with each other and with those who have gone before us, I wanted to share with you um, a writing from a saint of ours, and he describes his experience of what we know as Mass. Um, so regarding our solemnity, this particular, um, it originated in Belgium in the 13th century by St. Juliana, a nun. The detail of this solemnity was given her in a vision by Christ, asking her to ensure that the solemnity of his body and blood be celebrated. Today's celebration is an expression of our faith and our belief in the true presence of Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. As I said um, uh, this morning, a large portion of this is going to be taken directly from the writings of a saint. His name is Justin, and Justin died a martyr in Rome in the year 165 A.D., I want to remind you that the first gospel, the gospel of Mark, is understood to be uh, from about 75 A.D. So not too much after this, we hear of the saint writing. And he is most commonly known as Justin, Saint Justin the Martyr. And uh, many of his writings are very interesting, but his description of the celebration of the Sunday Eucharist um, so very close to the time that Jesus Christ himself walked on this earth with his apostles is of great interest. So he wrote, and I begin the quote, On Sunday, we have a common assembly of all of our members. The recollections of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read. When the reader has finished, the presider of the assembly speaks to us. Homily. He urges everyone to imitate the examples of virtue we have heard in the readings. Then we all stand up together and pray. At the conclusion of our prayer, bread and wine are brought forward. The presider offers prayers and gives thanks to the best of his ability. And the people give their assent by saying amen. You guys do that too. The Eucharist is distributed to those present, and those present communicate. <clears throat> he means as they receive it. And the deacons take it to those who are absent. The wealthy, now, the reason why I'm looking at the deacon, it doesn't say the priest, because the priest didn't exist then. At this time, all that there was present was the bishop or the apostle, and his assistants at that time were just the deacons. So this is why the deacon does this. He went on to write, the wealthy make a contribution, and they themselves decide the amount. You guys still do that. You decide the amount. Church may tell you what they would like, but you still decide. The collection is placed in the custody of the presider. Mm -mm, not anymore. <laughs> but... He uses it to help the orphans and widows and all who are for any reason in distress, whether they are sick or in prison 
or away from home. I made note also of in prison. In a word, he takes care of all who are in need. We hold our common assembly on Sunday because it is the first day of the week, the day on which God put darkness and chaos to flight and created the world. And because on that same day our Savior Jesus Christ rose from the dead, for he was crucified on Friday and on Sunday, he appeared to his apostles and disciples and taught them the things which we have passed on for your consideration. He goes on. No one may share the Eucharist unless one believes what we teach about it is true. Unless one is washed in the regenerating waters of baptism for the remission of one's sins, and unless one live in accordance with the principles given us by Christ. He writes, We do not consume the Eucharistic bread and wine as if it were ordinary food and drink. For we have been taught that as Jesus Christ our Savior became man of flesh and blood by the power of the Word of God, so also the food that our flesh and body assimilates or its nourishment becomes the flesh and blood of the incarnate Jesus, the Christ, by the power of his own words contained in the prayer of thanksgiving. The apostles and the recollections, which are called the Gospels, handed down to us what Jesus commanded them to do. They tell us that he, meaning Jesus, took bread, gave thanks, and said, Do this in memory of me, this is my body. In the same way he, meaning Jesus, took the cup. He gave thanks and said, this is my blood. Ever since then, we have constantly reminded one another of these things. End of quote. This was St. Justin Martyr's experience of what we call Mass. And I stand here without a doubt to tell you that if St. Justin the Martyr were permitted to walk into this church, he would recognize what we are doing immediately, and he would understand. The Catholic Church has and never will deviate from this sacred tradition. The Eucharist is Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity under the appearance of consecrated bread and wine. Not a symbol or a sign, but greater than both. But truly Christ, it is made present during Mass. The Eucharist is a true sacrifice that makes present the one sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. The effects of the Eucharist, I'm quoting, I should have told you from the Catechism of the Catholic Church now. The effects of the Eucharist increases our union with Christ. That's why the second reading said, is this not a participation in him? The catechism goes on to say, it separates us from sin and helps to keep us from future mortal sin. It takes away venial sin. Do you hear this? When received properly, 
It takes away venial sins. Goes on. It unites us to Christ and his church, brings us into fellowship. It helps us grow in charity. And the quote from the catechism, and my friends, most importantly, Christ did this because he loves you. He did this, as the scripture says, that you may have life eternal. And not one day in the future, but even now, to live the resurrected life now. To have that life within you, so that you may walk as his disciple now and spread the good news that he brought for us. Friends, the first reading from the book of Deuteronomy refers twice to manna that came down from heaven by God for the people of Israel. And this is part of the reason why in the beginning of the gospel, uh, Jesus said, I am the living bread that has come down to heaven. And immediately the people started murmuring and talking about crazy man. What is he talking about? How dare he? And Jesus knows and that's why he addresses them. The second reading emphasizes the unity of all those who share in the one bread, the one Eucharist, while the gospel, Jesus promises to feed his followers with life-giving body and blood. And my friends, when we speak about this, because uh, I know people are, well, are you, are you Roman Catholics and Orthodox cannibals? No. Not Jesus' earthly body and blood, his glorified body and blood. And remember, once he was risen, he had a glorified body. Remember what he could do? He could be anywhere at any time. He could walk right through that wall. So it was different. A constant theme that runs through all of the scriptures, Old Testament and New, is of God nourishing his people within the context of closeness and intimacy. That is the blessing also being given on this solemnity of his body and blood. The Lord desires and wants to give us food for our journey now. To bring us together in a close unity that will powerfully witness to his love to this world. And to make his people joyful with the assurance that this meal, this banquet will continue into eternity. The bit of sadness that I have as your pastor in my heart is that this sacrament, which is to be a sign of eternal life, but a sign of great unity, which at the Last Supper was a sign of unity amongst those who believed in Jesus at that time. It was his disciples, his close ones, who were in that upper room. And it was meant to be a sign of bringing them together and unifying them. Today, People use the Eucharist to divide and to cause pain. And some with seething anger and even hatred toward us and towards the Orthodox Christians condemn us because we say this is truly his body and his blood. The Catholic Church has always believed and thus taught that Jesus Christ is really, truly, and substantially present in the sacrament of the Eucharist. And thus, the Eucharist is for us a summit and source of our traditions and faith in the Catholic Church and in the Orthodox Church. 
in the most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist, the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole of Jesus, we're talking in that glorified state, in the sacrament state, is really and substantially contained. Catechism of the Catholic Church. That means that the Eucharist is not just a symbol, but his very presence. When we teach the children about the Eucharist, we tell them the symbol points to a reality that is outside of itself, something different, like a sign that says, here is Walshed Drive, and you get to Gig Harbor. That's a sign. That's how people understand sign. The sign and symbol uh, and sacraments are efficacious. They mean they actually present what they, they're not just pointing to something, they are what they say they bring. And my friends, uh, as it is, most non-Catholic Christians believe the Eucharist is not that, just, just a symbol, it's just a sign, but it's not what you say it is, not the true presence of Christ in some way. As Catholics, we know that Christ is not just symbolically present in the Eucharist. He is truly present. That is why St. Paul in today's reading calls the Holy Communion a participation in the very body and blood of Christ. And this is why Jesus himself today in the Gospel reading repeats six times in seven verses that he is real flesh and blood. His blood, his flesh is real. And every time a validly ordained bishop or priest pronounces the words of consecration at the Mass, when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, Jesus himself in a mysterious and sacramental way becomes truly present under the appearance of bread and wine. My friends, I tried to avoid all the theology speak, but if people last night asked me, Father, what, 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 what do we call that? It's called transubstantiation. Kind of a big word. What it means is that the bread and wine remain and look and taste, but they have changed. Yes, it's a mystery. My friends, I, I thought, God is constantly doing such things. I mean, he created the, all the universes, all the millions of them, whatever they may be, on the number. And then, to our amazement, he sends his son who becomes veiled really in a body. Not pretend body, not a mere image. Jesus became truly human, veiled in our skin, if you will, his divinity. So this is not a stretch at all. Why is this hard to understand and believe? Because we tend to put restrictions on God. Oh, no, he can't do that. <laughs> I can't wait for you to get to the heaven, heaven's gate and tell God, well, you couldn't do that. <laughs> St. Peter just closes the door. Bye-bye. <laughs> Guess he can't open the gate for you either then, right? I make light and I make joke to help you to understand because these are mysteries and it's hard for us and it, it has been a source of division. And my friends, from the scriptures I've written, my house shall be a house of prayer and your pastor has done everything he can to keep nonsense out of this house. But it is hard because people bring it in and Satan loves it. So I do what I can. We've made it beautiful. We've worked on uh, glorifying God in music. We use sacred vessels. We have sacred art. More is coming. So that when you walk in, you understand that this is our Father's house. And it should be given respect and, and dignity. It's due. 
And it is my expectation, as it is with uh, all the clergy, that anyone who enters in this house will abide by its rules, abide by the policies of the Catholic Church, the rubrics. Everyone, Catholic and non-Catholic. Last night, I told everyone, should occasion come where I would enter into a Protestant church, I will respect their rules. If I cannot respect their rules, then I will not enter their house. And I expect the same to be done here. If you cannot abide by our policies and rules, then don't come here. Because it's a sign of respect and dignity. Not that you have to agree, but I will abide. I will do the same. And my friends, uh, I want to speak to you about um, the Eucharist and why we cannot share it with those uh, who are not of the Catholic faith. This is not a judgment on the heart of their holiness and worthiness. This is about unity. We are united behind the belief of the true presence. And many of the non-Catholic Christians do not hold to this. So they are not in union with us on that. And the sacrament is that very sign of unity. So they should not partake of it. Because as Jesus said, if you receive my body and blood... I give you life. And when the person, the Catholic, the Orthodox, receives it in that state of grace, that's what it does. But if you receive it not in the state of grace, if you receive it not believing, then the opposite must be true. If it gives and has power to give life, does it not then have power to condemn? St. Paul writes about this. 1 Corinthians 11.27, go and see. He tells them, you are receiving the body and blood of Christ unworthily, and because of that, you are becoming sick, and some of you are dying. It's in the Scripture. Go and read it. So when we say, do not take this, it is not an unwelcoming thing. It's an act of charity. Do not receive this. Do not receive this. And this will be true also of Roman Catholics who are not in the state of grace. Don't. Wait. Get yourself in that state of grace. One of the ways is by confession, to which the Protestant does not have access to. And what is it that separates us from? Uh, is our sacraments. Our sacraments are efficacious signs. They actually do something. The one thing that does unite us is baptism. So we grab that and hold it. Brother, you and I are baptized in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We become then children of God this way. But even within the 33,000 denominations of Protestants, from that point it diverges into all kinds of things. One day, one day we will have to all come together. All Christians of every denomination are going to have to come together because we are going to have to band together to defend the faith. One day. So we're going to have to be able to put our silliness aside and come back together. Besides, that, Christ wanted that. My friends, there is an exception to the rule uh, when it comes to Catholics and non-Catholics. The other one is the Orthodox Church. The Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, uh, Malachite, and the Eastern Christians. They are, while we are not in union they hold to the same sacraments. All seven of them, they teach the very same thing. So when St. Nicholas Orthodox Church, when their priest 
presides at the divine liturgy and consecrates the bread, it is truly the Eucharist the way Father Mark does. Our church, meaning the Roman Catholic Church, permits the Orthodox and Eastern Rites to come and receive the Eucharist. They typically present themselves to me and will tell me, Father, I am Orthodox. Okay. Usually I can, they don't have to, but I can usually spot them because of what they do. They usually touch the ground. So I usually can see them immediately. But um, it's just one of their traditions. Now, should you go to the, by chance, find yourself in an Orthodox church, their rule is you are not to receive the Eucharist from them because we are not in union that way. And so I expect that you'll respect their rule. You can always present yourself to the priest and let him know I'm Roman Catholic and see what he has to say about it. Um, what separates us? Keeping it super simple, the Pope. <laughs> we say the Pope is the vicar. They say, but not really, not yet. And uh, they have married priests, and to be perfectly honest, so do we. But it's under very, very strict circumstances that we, we do. We have one here in this archdiocese who's married. I know him and his wife and his children. But uh, the general rule is no. And, uh, and then there's some other subtleties. So in that sense, we're not in union, but sacramentally we are. We recognize their priesthood. They recognize ours. They are descendants of the apostles. We are descendants of the apostles, meaning the... So just to kind of help you to understand, because sometimes people do not understand. And you know, uh, for those who are present who are Protestant, remember, should you feel comfortable coming forward, that sign is just your palms of your chest, your fingertips of your lips, and a blessing is given. But I just like to remind everybody, at the end of Mass, everybody gets a blessing. Yeah. So even if the Protestant says, oh, I don't want to come up, they'll still get a blessing, right? So I hope this helps to clarify, because it's important, because sometimes a Catholic will tell a Protestant, well, you can't have it because you're Protestant. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but what else? Because you do not believe in the true presence. That's the real thing. You do not believe that this is sacramentally Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, substantially. Uh, and because of that, you should not partake. And as we've seen, even from the beginning, St. Justin writes, those who did not hold did not get to share in this.